Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And as you're turning there, I want to spend a few moments in prayer together as we seek the Lord's face. What I want to pray about today as we have our time of pastoral prayers, I want to pray about the perseverance of the saints. You know, we heard at the very beginning of our service today a scripture from Jude. And that Jude, it gives a command and a promise. And interestingly enough, in the original language, both the command and the promise are the same words. And so it says in Jude 20 through 25, it says, keep yourself in the love of God. It's a command. We're called to command. We are called by God to keep ourselves in the love of God. But then the very last verse, last two verses says, God will keep you. <laughs> Same word. <laughs> so is it you who keep yourself or is it God who keeps you? <laughs> Are you called to keep yourself in the love of God or is it God who hangs on to you tight? Which one is it? The answer is yes. <laughs> and so in the middle of the trying times that we live in, let's pray that we persevere in the faith. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, your gracious care for us. Lord, we thank you that you indeed keep us. Even as the prayer we pray so often to in our services, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Lord, we thank you for the keeping work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That even as Ephesians says, you have sealed us for the day of redemption. Jesus, you said no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And Lord, we are so grateful for these truths and these realities of the never-ending, steadfast transforming work of grace in our lives that will never leave us nor forsake us. But Lord, we recognize that you also give us commands and you say, keep yourself in the love of God. And Lord, we thank you that with the command also, you will give specific graces that we need in our time of suffering and trial. And so, Lord, we know that there are many in our church, there are many in this room that are enduring suffering and trial in these days. Lord, we know there are some who are at home or in the hospital today that are enduring trial. Lord, we think of Carol White and we think of Scott Samuelson and we think of others who are suffering greatly. Lord, I pray for each one of them, Lord, regardless of the suffering is physical or like I know many have emotional pain or are working through things on their jobs or working through decisions right now that are going to be life altering. Some that are suffering in their marriages, some that are suffering in their homes, some that are just suffering psychologically. Lord, there is so much suffering in the world today. Lord, I pray that in each case that you would, would give them a, a special peace from your Holy Spirit and your presence that gives them strength to endure. Lord, all the way to the end with the utmost confidence that, is, that it is you who holds them and keeps them to the end. And so, Lord, it's with that confidence that we approach this passage that you will indeed keep us to the end and one day there will be a glorious appearing of our Christ where you will gather your saints together to be with the Lord and we will always be with you. And so Lord, I pray that you would speak to us from your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 14. Matthew writes these words of Jesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, also as an eyewitness of these things that Jesus said. Verse 1. 
As Jesus left the temple and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. He replied to them, Do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. While he was, still, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of the, of the labor pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. The many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and grace. And that in this passage, we are not left to guess on what is coming, what is going to happen in the future. That, Lord, we in this passage give, are given instructions of perseverance, of endurance, and, and great hope that the gospel of the kingdom will go global. And that all nations one day will hear the gospel and all will have representatives around your throne to worship you from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, and people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us through this passage to persevere through whatever suffering, whatever trial we may endure in this life, all for the glory of Christ and for the sake of souls. Lord, because you are infinitely worth it. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we begin what is called the Olivet Discourse here in the book of Matthew. It's the last major block of teaching in the book of Matthew. In fact, it's the fifth block of teaching that you find here in the book of Matthew. Why is it called the Olivet Discourse? It's because Jesus is giving a teaching from the Mount of Olives. And throughout this discourse in chapter 24 and 25, Jesus is talking about the end times. He's talking about the doctrines of the last things. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be engaging in a series entitled, Jesus is Coming Again. And you ought to say, Amen. <laughs> Let me try that again. Jesus is coming again. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. If I don't say anything else today, then my goodness, that ought to give you joy. Now, whatever you see on the news tonight isn't all there is, amen? That there is the rest of the story. You know, so oftentimes believers forget the rest of the story. One of my favorite songs from one of my favorite groups when I was growing up, Newsboys, they, uh, uh, they've been around a long time. <laughs> so long that they were around, yes, I said that right, they were around when I was in high school. <laughs> And they had a song that they sang. It was called Lost the Plot. And it is a rockin' song. I mean, it is like, by the end of it, it is amazing. <laughs> but the point of the song says this. When you come back again, would you bring me something from the fridge? I heard a rumor that the end is near, but I just have gotten comfortable here. It's a song of criticism of the modern age and the modern church that doesn't teach about the end times anymore 
and doesn't long for the appearing of our Christ. And by the end of the song, it's a very prophetic song against the church and saying, look, wake up. Jesus is coming again and we need to keep our eyes on the prize, our eyes on the end. And when it comes to the doctrine of last things, we need to be careful to be as biblical, biblical as possible and not get distracted by hyper-sensationalized speculation concerning current events. And I grew up in the 70s and 80s and let me just be frank, have, lost, have watched a lot of people walk away from the church because of nonsense that was preached and taught and written about concerning these last things. Let me give you a taste of the things that I've heard in my lifetime alone. In the 1970s and 1980s, the mark of the beast was supposed to be the barcode. And the barcode was put on everything. In fact, if you look at the barcode, so the story went, if you look at the barcode, you'll find three lines that are exactly the same length. And those three lines correspond to 666. And so therefore, you should never use a barcode. Insane. <laughs> How Lindsay prophesied in the late great planet Earth that the Antichrist, his book, Late Great Planet Earth, that the Antichrist would come in the 1970s and the rapture would happen in the 1980s. Here we are, 2021. Can you see why we've got to be careful? We've got to be biblical and not try to come up with all kinds of fanciful things that will tickle people's ears and be really interesting that you could write books and sell books about. However... What does the Bible say about prophecy and how, what, what your batting average needs to be? 100%. And so we need to be relentlessly biblical. Others said that the mark of the beast was that mark on Miguel, Mikhail Gorbachev's head. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> Mikhail Gorbachev is dead. <laughs> it wasn't him. You got to be careful. <laughs> Others said that in, on January 1st, 1988, Edgar Wyzant, interestingly, interesting last name, Wyzant, <laughs> he published a book called 88 Reasons in 88. Anybody remember that one? I remember it. I read it. <laughs> 88 Reasons in 1988 of why Jesus was going to come back in October of 1988. It would, let me tell you, it was really difficult to study in seventh grade. <laughs> I was in seventh grade in 1988. <laughs> It was very difficult to pay attention. I remember discussions in Mrs. Ashbaugh's science class of Jesus is coming back. Let's not worry about the test, right? <laughs> ah, I'm glad I didn't pay attention and I went ahead and studied just in case. <laughs> Y2K was supposed to be the tribulation. Fill the tub and dry, uh, buy some dry beans. <laughs> Some claimed September 11th was the beginning of the tribulation. Some said that Israel became a nation in 1948. And one generation beyond from the founding of Israel would be, that Jesus would have to come within one generation. One generation is defined as 60 years. Therefore, Jesus would have to come by 2008. That was another prophecy. False prophet. Here we are in 2021. Didn't happen. Can you see why we got to be careful? Can you see why I'm not going to give you a bunch of fanciful speculation? I'm going to give you Bible today. Amen? <laughs> Christians have identified, tried to identify the Antichrist. Let me give you a, a sampling of what I've heard over my lifetime. The most interesting one was Prince Charles. <laughs> Prince Charles, somebody preached, was the Antichrist. He might be still around, but I don't think so. Somebody said Gorbachev. We talked about that. I've also heard Ronald Wilson Reagan was the Antichrist. Do you know why? R-O-N-A-L-D-W-I-L-S-O-N-R-E-A-G-A-N. 666. <laughs> False prophet. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> Ridiculous. George W. Bush, he said that there was a new world order coming. Others have said Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Obama. Some said Trump. Some said Biden. Earlier figures said Nero, various popes, Napoleon, Hitler. Almost every American president since FDR has been identified as the Antichrist. 
interesting, isn't it? Do you see why we got to be so very, it's hard to look in the mirror sometimes as a church, isn't it? (laughs) And as a church culture in America. Of course, we all know that the, that the Antichrist is named Nikolai Carpathia, right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> I've left behind fictional fame. <laughs> Can you see why we have to be intensely careful? We have to be biblical. Now, the fact remains, there will be, and we'll talk about here in a minute, many lower, anti, or lower case A Antichrists that will come. And the spirit of the Antichrist is very much at work in this age. And one day there will be a figure, a historical figure that will come about that will be the capital A Antichrist. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not going to happen. I believe it will happen. But I, have, I do believe we need to be very careful in how we interpret these prophecies and these events. There will be an end times. There will be a tribulation. But we have to be insanely careful to be biblical on this. On top of all of this, there are various views of the end times that have been held by faithful Christians throughout the generations. There have been different views on the millennium itself. Now, I'm a premillennialist, but there have been others that have viewed it in different ways. Some have been all-millennialists. Now, some all-millennialists, many all-millennialists have found this to be a pathway to liberalism, but not all. Let me give you some examples of faithful all-millennialists. Did you know that Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, all the reformers, were all-millennialists? Also, B.B. Warfield, R.C. Sproul, J.I. Packer, and a Baptist fame, Herschel Hobbes, were all all-millennialists. Now, I very much disagree with them. (laughs) However, I also commend much of what they wrote, except for on that. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Now, if you're an amillennialist, I love you too, but I hope to convince you otherwise. (laughs) There have been some post-millennialists as well that believe that Jesus is coming after the millennium, and that we're living in the millennium right now. Jonathan Edwards was a post-millennialist. So is Charles Wesley, B.H. Carroll, and G.W. Truitt of Southern Baptist fame were actually post-millennialists. Now, what ended up making post-millennialism that Jesus comes after the millennium, what made it not so popular and what made it really fall off the map where it's really hard to find a post-millennialist today outside of a certain camp that we don't, uh, we don't see a lot of those around uh, uh, anymore, a few of them around, uh, but really World War I and World War II. Because post-millennialism taught that things would just get better and better and better and the church would have more and more and more influence on the culture and there would be peace established through the expansion of Christianity in the world. Well, World World War I did a lot to squash that idea. (laughs) And then World War II pretty well put the nail in the coffin. Now, what I believe is pre-millennialism, which was held by... Christians of the first century, Clement and Polycarp, Tertullian taught this, Spurgeon taught this, John Wesley taught this, Billy Graham, Chuck Swindoll, Al Mohler, Danny Aiken, all of these guys, John MacArthur, teach this and hold to this position. Now, within premillennialism, there's also different types of understandings in terms of the rapture. You can take premillennialism that Jesus is going to return before a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. That Jesus is going to come before that period of time, that thousand-year reign of Christ, where there will be a time of peace, a time where the, where the lion will lay down with the lamb, where the child will play with the cobra, as is, as is prophesied in the latter ch- chapters of the book of Isaiah. That Jesus is going to reign over this world for a thousand years after the tribulation period. Now, within premillennialism, there are some ideas about the rapture. Now, some hold to a pre-tribulation rapture. That is, Jesus comes, or Jesus raptures his church before a seven-year tribulation and then returns with his church after the seven-year period of the tribulation. Those who hold this would be Danny Aiken, Billy Graham, John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll. There is a pre-wrath rapture view of the tribulation that Jesus is going to come and rapture his church before the wrath of God is poured out. Some believe that today. And then others believe there is a post-tribulation rapture that the church actually endures a time of, there's a time of suffering coming on the world. It's not the wrath of God until the very end, perhaps. 
But then uh, those who believe this are Clement, so the early church believed this, Polycarp, most Anabaptists, Spurgeon actually believed that, John Piper and Albert Moeller actually all believe that particular view. So what does the Baptist faith and message actually say? That should help us a little bit. The Baptist faith and message says the following. It is in your notes. Hopefully you picked up some notes on the table on your way in. The Baptist faith and message says this. God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell and the the place of everlasting torment. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their eternal reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. And so what is the point of studying the end times together? Hopefully I've made my case today that the, at least in part, that the point of studying the end times is not sensational speculation. The point of studying the end times is not sensational speculation. But the point of studying the end times is to grow in comforting hope to pursue holiness and to persevere in suffering as we trust in Jesus and anticipate the triumphant return of our King. Amen? The point of this is to encourage you. The point of the end times is, yes, it's important to figure out what we believe and what we view and our understanding of the end times and the the particular way that we think things are going to come about. But if all we end up with is a chart, we've missed the point. The point of the end times and the study of the end times is to encourage a suffering church to persevere is to encourage a family, a mom who is suffering, a grandma who is suffering, a widow who is suffering in in this age, is to encourage you to persevere, to give you comforting hope, to pursue holiness, to persevere in suffering, to share the gospel with the lost, and to anticipate Jesus is coming again. And then we can discuss and debate all of the particulars. And then as we get to the end times, we will... As one theologian said, we'll be pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. Amen. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> now let's move to Matthew 24. What can we learn about the end times? What do we learn about the last days? All of these statements you can find reinforced here in Matthew 21, 24. It is a chapter of hope. It's a chapter of perseverance. It's a chapter of guarding the faith. It's a chapter of watching out, being careful in these last days. Matthew 24 opens up with Jesus and his disciples leaving the temple and heading towards the Mount of Olives. They are amazed at the beauty of the temple that's sparkling in the setting sun with all of the gold on the temple. It was a glorious sight. If you were to, it's not usually included in the list of the seven wonders of the ancient world, but it really should be. It really should be listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You would stand in awe at this magnificent structure, this temple that Herod had rebuilt. The temple itself was five football fields long, four football fields wide. It had marble stones the size of boxcars that were stacked up on top of one another. It was overlaid on one side in pure gold, overlaid in other parts with pure silver. Josephus, an ancient historian, actually said that to look at this at this structure at night looked like a snow-capped mountain, but if you looked at it in the gleaming sun, it looked like the mountain mountain was on fire. It was a stunning sight. And the disciples looked at the temple and said, wow, look at that beautiful structure. And Jesus says, it's all coming down. It's all coming down. Now what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 24 is he's doing something called the telescoping of prophecy. The telescoping of prophetic events. 
And so we see that there are multiple events that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 24 that have been fulfilled and have yet to be fulfilled from our perspective. And so some of these things have, ha- have been fulfilled, and some of them have had multiple fulfillments. Some things he's going to be reaching back into the book of Daniel to talk about. One of them we'll talk about next week, the abomination of desolation. And so the first time this prophecy of Daniel and Jesus and of the end times was fulfilled was in the year 165 B.C. with Antiochus Epiphanes in the Old Testament Israel days. And so during that period of time, after Daniel spoke, in fact, after any prophet spoke, there was a time when there was a partial fulfillment, I believe, of what, of what Daniel had prophesied. And what happened during that period of time was there was a general named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he led an army against Israel. And he marched against Israel, overthrew Israel, overthrew Jerusalem, entered the temple, ransacked the temple, set up a statue of Jew, of, of Zeus, not Zeus, Zeus, <laughs> Zeus is the other god, <laughs> Zeus, set up a statue of Zeus in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and sacrificed a pig on the altar, desecrating the altar. Antiochus Epiphanes in the year 165 B.C., that was also the time of the Maccabean Rebellion, and you can see some of the miracles of God happening during that time. I don't believe the book of the Maccabees is scripture, but I think it is good history. It gives us an understanding of what was going on during that period of time. The second time that this is prophesied, remember Jesus is seeing things as telescoped here. The second time that this happens is in the year 70 AD. Not all of these prophecies were fulfilled then, but there is a picture what Jesus is talking about partially fulfilled in the year 70 AD. Now what happens in the year 70 AD? It happens again. The temple is rebuilt. Herod has rebuilt it by the time Jesus is talking. Then 40 years after Jesus says these words, the Roman general Titus marches on Jerusalem and he surrounds Jerusalem and he starves the city and he he attacks Jerusalem so much so that Josephus says that a million people died in Jerusalem during that attack. A million Jews died in Jerusalem during that attack in AD 70. They surround, armies surround the cities. There's wars and rumors of wars. All that is going on. They destroy the city. They destroy the temple. They completely they completely set the place on fire so hot that Josephus said that the gold and the silver actually melted and some of it filled in some of the cracks around the temple. He marches and puts the standard of Caesar in the middle of the temple, sacrifices another pig on the altar, abomination of desolation, and the temple has been destroyed ever since. Now we're in the church age. Church age really started after Christ. Now we're in the church age. But I think what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 24 is also telescoping to us and talking about not only the time of Antiochus Epiphanes and the time of General Titus, but also talking about a time of the end when there will one day once again be a temple in Jerusalem and one day once again there will be an abomination of desolation and these things are but pictures of the things that will be magnified in the last days, in the end times, that these horrific days that will come upon the whole world. And it is at that point here in the church age that we both look back and see some echoes of these future fulfillments from where we stand in between the times of these things that have been and yet will be. On this particular chart, you can see that there are the four major views of the rapture. Really, there's most of the three most major ones right now are really the pre-tribulation, the pre-wrath, and the post-tribulation views. Within that framework, Israel will return, the temple will be rebuilt, and Israel will be a key figure within the tribulation. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation. Jesus is talking about that here in this passage. And then after the second coming of Jesus, after the rapture, Jesus then comes back at the end of the tribulation. Then Jesus will reign on the earth for a thousand years. And then at the end, there'll be the great white throne of judgment and then the eternal state. Greatly simplified. (laughs) According to the according to my view, what I believe is a biblical view, but willing to be wrong on that, on some things. The things that I am steadfast and rock solid and will die for is Jesus is coming again. 
there will be a rapture of the church and Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years and there will be an eternal state and the only way to spend eternity in heaven is to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That is your only hope. I talked to a guy one time that said, I'm just taking my chances, and, and if Jesus raptures the church, then I'll just make sure I believe and get beheaded in the end times, and then I'll go to heaven. Friend, how do you know you're not going to get hit by a bus today? <laughs> That's what I told him. <laughs> he was about to get on a bus. <laughs> it was at a bus station. <laughs> Don't play games with eternity. It's a really long time. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. There's an eternal heaven. There's an eternal hell. And only those who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord will be saved. All right, let's walk through Matthew chapter 24, the first 14 verses. What does Jesus say here in this passage? Jesus describes these signs as birth pains. He describes them, if you're looking at the King James, as the birth pangs. Now, what, is, what does that mean? I was, have been, had the pleasure of, uh, my pleasure and also Mandy's suffering in, in a way, <laughs> in a lot of ways, of being present for the birth of our three children. Now, what do birth pains? Birth pains, as the birth of the child gets closer, the birth pains become more frequent and more intense. They start off with just you feel it and then they become more frequent and they become more intense. I think that's description Jesus is describing, in my view, Jesus is describing the church age and especially the seven-year tribulation, at least the first three and a half what we've covered today. And so there is this intensity, intensification of these signs that we see here in Matthew chapter 24. And that's what I want to focus our time on today is the things that we should be seeing happening with increasing intensity and increasing frequency as we approach the end. Number one is this. What are the signs we should be watching for? Number one, there will be false teachers, so know the truth. There will be false teachers. So know the truth. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus gives us a clear command. He says, watch out, watch out, watch out. That's a command. Watch out. It's a continual present. Always be watching out. Always be watching out. Why? So that no one will deceive you. That's the watching ministry of the church. It's a plural command. It's given to you as individuals. Watch over your own soul. Watch over your family soul. But it's also given to us as a church. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out for the doctrine. Watch out for the teaching. Pay attention. Why? Because there's going to be a lot of false teaching and increasing false teaching as we get close to the end. We are to be careful of our doctrine. We are to watch over what we believe. We are to watch over what we teach in the church. We are to watch over what our children are taught at school and in the church, knowing what it is that they are taught, confronting error, confronting false gospels, confronting the spirit of the lowercase a antichrist that will one day be revealed in the capital A antichrist. At the end of this age, we should be watching out. How do you know you're getting lax and watching out when church attendance isn't as important when you're not reading the bible as much as you should seeking out the will of god not just about the end times but about how the lord wants you to love god with everything that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself being lax in this self-watch, being lax in this watch-over doctrine being lax in this watch-over practice being lax in this watch we see that happening in the world today. They tell me that the average attendance now of faithful church attenders is now about once a month. And we define that in the church growth literature, whatever that means, as faithful. <laughs> is that watching out? Is that watching over your soul? Is that being ready for the return of our Christ? Is that being careful? 
Watch out, watch out, watch out for each other. What should you watch out for? You should watch out for deception because Jesus says that there are many false messiahs that will come. Happened in the right after the time of Jesus. From the time of Jesus' death to AD 70, there were several false messiahs and there have been several false messiahs that have come since then. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says it like this. Children, it is the last hour. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. And even now, many antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. There's a lot of false teaching going on today. Watch out for it. There's a guy on television that just this last week that said the reason Jesus hasn't come back is because the church hasn't given enough to his television ministry. <laughs> so you could buy another airplane. <laughs> false gospel false teaching there's many lowercase antichrists that have come and we know that the capital a antichrist is coming first john 4 3 says every spirit that does not confess jesus is not from god this is the spirit of the antichrist which you have heard that is coming and now is in the world if it was in the world when john wrote it's in the world today <laughs> and you see the influence growing in the culture of the spirit of Antichrist, preparing the way for the end times Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is at work in false teachers. It was true in the legalists of the first century. It's true of the legalists today. It's true of the libertines in the first century. It's true in the libertines today. It's true of the prosperity gospel today. It's true of the cults that are active in the world today. They are deceptives. They're like good magicians that can deceive you into believing something is true that's not. They can... They can do all kinds of verbal mental tricks. And in the end times, this false deception, this deception will even be demonically enhanced to be able to fool so many people. So what is our defense? Our defense is to be rock solid in our doctrine. It's to be rock solid in the gospel, in the teaching, in the scripture. That's why. Did you know that you prepare for the end times every day you have a quiet time? I don't care if your quiet time's not in Revelation or Matthew 24 or the last letter or any chapter, most chapters of the book of Daniel. If your quiet time is in Genesis, you're preparing for the end times. If your quiet time is in Philippians, you're preparing for the end times. Why? Because you're watching over your life and doctrine closely. Watch out. Number two, what do we learn from this passage? We know from number one, there's going to be false teachers and they're going to be increasing towards the end. Number two, there will be political and natural upheaval. So persevere in suffering. There will be political and natural upheaval. So persevere in suffering. In verses six through eight, we see that there will be wars and rumors of wars. But we're not to be alarmed because the end is not yet. Political upheaval will be the characteristic, yes, of the church age, but especially of the tribulation days, of the last days. And they will quickly escalate as time goes along. There have been about 3,400 years of recorded human history. Do you know how many years of those history, according to historians, that have had peace? <laughs> 3,400 years of human recorded human history. Do you know how many years we have had peace in the world where they didn't know of any wars going on at that time? 268. <laughs> so over 3,000 years of human history, there has been war. At least 108 million people have been killed in wars since the dawn of the 20th century alone, the last 120 years. Half of all people killed in war have been killed since the year 1900 and beyond. Half of all people killed in war in all of the history of the world have been killed in since the year 1900 and beyond. Jesus says, watch, there will be wars and rumors of wars. The combined global forces today around the, around the world, of all of the armed forces in the world, there are 21.3 million people in the militaries across the world the world is ready and armed to go to battle we see it happening 
Today, the world faces threats and conflicts from the Middle East, China, North Korea, Russia, terrorists, drug lords. In the U.S., we face threats from Antifa to zealots to all kinds of other things. We face anarchy, cyber terrorism, terrorists, nuclear threats, bio-warfare, bio-terror, space warfare, new kinds of energy weapons, drones, robotic forces, all of these kinds of things. And most countries in the world are gaining access to these things, sometimes... Even new countries are gaining access to these things that we've, as we have seen in the last several weeks. There is wars and rumors of wars. Jesus warned us of these things. He says there will be famines and earthquakes. Headline from September 20th. Just this week. Headline. Gas prices in the UK could trigger food shortages within weeks. Famine is caused by failed agriculture. What we have learned over the last two years in the pandemic is that our global supply chains can be disrupted like that. Toilet paper should teach us something. (laughs) I tried to buy, we needed to buy water. I went to Safeway on Thursday to go buy water. The shelf was empty. I found it somewhere else. (laughs) But it's hard to find it. Why water? I don't know why. Supply chain issues. You can see where just-in-time manufacturing could be disrupted at a moment's notice and famine can spread so quickly. Wars, rumors of wars, epidemics, pestilences. He says in verse 7, upheavals. I don't have time to talk about COVID. Headline from September 22nd, magnitude 5.9 earthquake strikes near... Melbourne, Australia. I didn't know they had that. <laughs> I experienced the greatest, the largest earthquake ever to hit Oklahoma. In fact, it was the infamous day of the snowquakeinado, <laughs> where we had a snowstorm, an earthquake, and a tornado all on the same day. <laughs> it was very interesting. I'm glad I live here now. <laughs> But these things are descending on the world. And what do we see? We see them happening with increasing t- intensity. We see them happening. I don't think it's just because we have 24-hour cable news networks to cover it all. It's happening with increasing intensity and decreasing or an increasing frequency. We know that when these things are coming, we need to get ready. We need to be ready. Finally, number three is this. What's the end times going to be like? There will be persecution. Think of the church age, yes, and then also specifically of the tribulation period. There will be persecution and apostasy. But persevere in love and share the gospel to the end. In verses 9 through 14, we have an, an incredible contrast in those verses. It says there in those passages that there will be intense persecution. We see that in the world today. The Center for Study, the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon Cromwell Seminary has done a study that since the year 2000, there have been 2.4 million, 2.4 million Christian martyrs in 21 years. 2.4, or 2.4 million Christians since the year 2000 have lost their faith. We have seen an increase in the last century in the frequency and the number of Christians who are giving their lives for the gospel. All you have to do is ask our missionaries who come back, what's happening in the global church? And the first answer will often be persecution. Persecution. Persecution is increasing all over the globe, all over the world. In our multicultural society, there is one culture that is set apart as not invited to the table. So oftentimes we see that in our nation, how they treat Christianity, how it's treated in our world. Know that we will be persecuted and hated. We need to make sure that we're persecuted for the right reasons, for the name of Jesus, and not because we are acting in ways that aren't like Jesus. But the more we live and love like Jesus and preach the gospel, the more we will be persecuted. And friend, it's not going to get easier in the last days. It's going to get more difficult. 
But Jesus told these things so we would be prepared. Now, because of the increase of persecution, Jesus says there in Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 14, he says that the love of many will wax cold, and there will be many false prophets. They will deceive many. There will be a great falling away. People will betray one another and hate one another. He's talking about Christians here. He's talking about so-called Christians here that wear this easy believism and when the temperature gets turned up a little bit, they check out. Can you see why easy believism is so dangerous? A gospel that is free grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But when persecution or difficulty come Jesus says it's like a plant that grows in stony ground and when the heat of the sun hits it it just withers away friend when the difficult days come and we are facing difficult days in these times we must stand firm in the gospel verses 11 12 he says there will be false prophets we've seen it already we will see it in the end times the book of revelation presents us with an evil trinity this satan the antichrist and the false prophet that will be deceiving many in the last days and the spirit of all of these realities is at work in the world today Verse 12 says the sad reality that the love of many will wax cold. There is a glacier of lovelessness that is about and is already descending on the world. Where the love, what love is he talking about? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There will be, as we get towards the end of days, a glacier of lovelessness that will descend upon God's people. The love of many, not few, but many, will wax cold. But not everybody's going to be that way. There's going to be some people who will be there that their aim in life is going to be to torch a glacier. And that's my hope and aim for Richland Baptist Church is that we will be right here, using an analogy from John Piper, that we will be right here in Richland, Washington, and I'm going to be here with my little torch, and my prayer is is that you'll be there with your little torch, and we're going to be there, and we're going to be torching the glacier to be white hot for Jesus Christ. Where do I see that in the passage? Look at verse 13 and 14. And we'll finish up there. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Somebody's going to be torching a glacier. What are they going to be doing? Well, look at verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all of the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. There's going to be many that are going to be waxing colds. But there will be some that will persevere to the end. And somebody's got, if the gospel of the kingdom is going to go to the ends of the world, somebody's got to be there preaching it. Somebody's got to be there sharing it. And my challenge for us as a church, as the world gets more and more dark, let's be the people of God that torches a glacier. Let's be the people of God that stays white hot for the things of God. I want to end with a quote today from George Ladd. He says the following, God only knows the definition of terms here in terms of timing. I cannot precisely define who all the nations are, but I do not need to know. I only know one thing. Christ has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. When it is done, Christ will come. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining the terms. Our responsibility is to complete the task. So long as Christ does not return, our work is undone. So let's get busy and complete our mission. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have a mission. And let's be the people of God in the end times that will be there persevering through suffering, standing firm for the faith, preaching the true gospel, and spreading the love of Jesus through word and deed throughout the whole earth. And then the end will come. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is coming again. That is fact of Scripture. Jesus is coming. 
Are you ready? The Bible is clear the wages of sin is death. There is only one way to be ready for that day. And there is only one way of salvation. And that is Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. The one who died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the grave. There is a real heaven. There is is a real hell. This world will not last forever. You do not have infinite amount of time. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. I want to encourage you, whether you're watching online, I want to encourage you to reach out to us. We'd love to follow up with you to help you follow Christ. Right after when we sing, I'll be right here. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus and help you trust in Jesus Christ for the first time. Why don't you come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord? Let's spend a moment in silent reflection and then let's respond together. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we thank you that even as the world around us gets more difficult, and even as many in this room have gone through times of suffering in the last few years, and online, I know with some of the places that, where people are that watch on the internet, Lord, they are even taking great risk to be able to tune into this service. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help them to persevere through times of suffering, knowing that it won't last forever, knowing that you know, knew these things would come. These are, in many ways, the result of our own, the sinfulness of our world, the rebellion of our world against its rightful ruler. And, Lord, we long for the return of the King. And Lord, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The longing of our souls, the longing of our hearts is the the coming of our Christ. But Lord, I pray in the meantime that you would help us to watch our doctor, watch our life, watch our godliness, watch our love. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to persevere in times of suffering. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to spread the good news of Jesus to the end of the world.